Morning. I was told, buy kids as a cue. Or something like that. The children will be dismissed. I like buy kids better. Please turn in Romans chapter 12 to the scripture passage that was read earlier. And in your bulletin, you'll find an outline to look along for the message this morning. <clears throat> I've tried to pick a message that anticipates a great month coming up for this church, the month of October, when your new pastor arrives. So the message is, in God's church, we all need each other. All need each other. October's going to be an exciting time for Grace Brethren Church in Norwalk. Your new pastor is going to come all the way across the country, as I understand it. I do not know Pastor Rick personally, but I've heard about him. I, though I've never met him, I know of his ministry. I know he ministers with Urban Hope in Philadelphia, and I'm excited about what he's going to bring to you and to your community. So ask yourself these questions as you anticipate the coming of a new pastor. Do you want to be an effective servant in your church, an important joy and asset to the new pastor coming your way? What do you expect of this new leader anyway? Do you want to become a person whose life complements what God has done for you? That's a question of Romans 12 as you start that chapter. What God has done for you, does your life really complement that? If your answer is yes to these questions... I'm going to ask you to make three commitments this morning, which you're going to see from Romans 12, verses 1 to 8. If you make these commitments, you are going to do yourself and your church and your new pastor a great favor. Now, the first two commitments are rather familiar. If you've been a Christian a while, you know Romans 12, 1 and 2. Now, John 3, 16 is the best known verse in the Bible. But for anyone who's been a Christian for a while, you know Romans 12, 1 and 2. And by making these first two commitments, according to those first two verses, you will know and realize the will of God for your life. So these are important commitments to make. Commitment number one is that you need to offer your body to God. And why do you do this? Because of his abundant mercies that we will see. Romans 12:1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy... Where do you find God's mercy? You find it explained in the first 11 chapters of Romans. So just sit there while I read the first 11 chapters to you. No, please read them on your own. But here's how, here's how the book divides. Romans 1 to 11 tell about how we become right with God. It speaks to us of what God's grace has accomplished in us. And then chapters 12 to 16 how we live rightly before God. Chapters 1 to 11, how we become right with God. 12 to 16, how we live rightly before God. What God's grace now requires of us. We are, you see, we are all guilty sinners. But in Romans chapters 1 to 11, we learn that through God's goodness, not through any merit of our own, He chose us to be His. God's grace has touched us and saved us. We have become justified by faith. Our sins have been forgiven. He has empowered us with His Holy Spirit. These are all the works of God in us, chapters 1 to 11 talk about. Now, chapters 12 to 15, and chapter 16 is a concluding chapter. Now we serve. And this service starts with a sacrifice. I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, 
holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. A sacrifice. And Paul describes this sacrifice with five words. Did you see them there? This sacrifice is living. You're not dead like the sheep that uh, that were uh, sacrificed in the Day of Atonement. You're a living sacrifice, a holy sacrifice. Your life would be pleasing to God. It's a logical sacrifice. The the, um, NIV says spiritual sacrifice. The word is actually a logical sacrifice. You remember the King James Version? It is your reasonable service. It's the reasonable thing to do. To present your life a sacrifice to God because of all he's done for you. And it is a worshipful sacrifice. It's a service, an act of worship that you present to God. Very important to see those aspects of your life being sacrificed to God. Have you made this unconditional, total commitment of yourself to God? If you have not, simply do it with a prayer like this. Take my life. And let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. And at the end of the service, we're going to sing that song. And if you make that your song, you are obeying Romans 12.1, presenting your body a living sacrifice to God. That's the first commitment you need to make. The second commitment is to offer your mind to God. The worship of God involves our bodies, and it involves our minds. Verse 2 do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Have, an, have a mind that is transformed, not conformed from, to the world's thought patterns. You go away from that and you have your mind transformed into God's thought patterns. It should not take much imagination to realize that the thought patterns of this world are contrary to the thought patterns of God. If this sermon were just on the first two verses of Romans, we would spend a lot of time talking about what the thought patterns of the world are that we need to move away from as we adopt God's thought patterns. I'll just mention two. Scientism. The thought that science has all the answers. My wife and I were driving through a small town uh, earlier this year, and in the square of that town, there was a little demonstration going on. They were holding signs that we should all live by science. Now, you know what they're saying, and I know what they're saying, that science has all the answers. Well, you know what? Science cannot give you any values. Science cannot tell you this is right and that is wrong. Science can't do that. In fact, the statement that science has all the answers, guess what? It's not a scientific statement. It's a statement of faith. So, scientism has to be unlearned. Now, it doesn't mean Christians don't believe in science. We don't have our head in the sand. But scientism needs to be unlearned in order to adopt God's thought patterns. And another one is relativism. The thought that nothing is absolutely right or wrong, it all depends. Or it's just do the loving thing or something like that. That is not the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments are absolutes. And so if you are, if you breathe the thought patterns of the world on relativism, you have to lay aside those thought patterns and now be conformed to the mind of God where God actually tells us right and wrong. Not on everything you do. 
but on much of what we do. Have your mind transformed so it's no longer conformed to the thought patterns of the world, but now transformed to God's thought patterns. That's what the second commandment calls you to do. Now, if you do these two things, commit your body and commit your mind, you will know and experience the will of God for your life. That's what verse 2 continues to say. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Do you want the will of God in your life? Certainly we do. We'd say that at the, from the get-go. Now, this is God's moral will. It helps us to know what's right or wrong. And you don't have to wonder what God's will is for your life. Now, I have a view on the will of God that is kind of strange. Nobody agrees with me, but here it is. You don't have to wonder what God's will is for your life. He has told you. And here in Romans, chapters 12, 13, 14, 15, and 16 tell you what the will of God is for your life. So the problem is not what I need to know. The problem is my motivation. It's what I want to do. You see, I'm not so worried about discovering the will of God that I don't know. I'm worried about doing the will of God I do know. And I think you are too. So God's will is revealed for you in this book, in the chapters that describe how we respond to God's grace, 12, chapters 12 and forward. You, all you need to do is to take advantage of the opportunities God puts before you in order to do the will of God. <clears throat> I was coming out of the Stater Brothers grocery store months ago and loading groceries in the back of my car and an elderly woman came up to me. Well, she looked older than I am. I guess that's criteria of elderly. And she said, sir, I can't find my car. At that moment, I knew what the will of God was for my life for the next five or ten minutes. And I couldn't say, well, you know, God didn't give me the gift of showing mercy. So you have to find somebody else. No, that's the will of God for my life right then. Because the scripture tells me that I'm to love my neighbor as myself and many, many other scriptures. And here's an opportunity right before me. Does it, is it rocket science to know what God's will is for your life? I don't think so. I don't think so. So God's will is revealed to us, and we will know and experience that will when we present our bodies living sacrifices and we let God renew our minds. First two commitments. Now we come to the one for most of the sermon. The third one. Offer your service to God. And to do this, you're going to make two assessments. The first assessment is of our attitudes. Verse three. By the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but rather think with sober judgment. Let me ask you a question. How many of you used to think more highly of yourself than you ought, but now you have total victory over that? Raise your hand. And if you raise your hand, you're thinking more highly of yourself than you ought to think. <laughs> Anytime you think you've arrived spiritually, I used to have the struggle, but now I've arrived. I used to lack the power, but now I've got all the power. 
I used to lack the faith, and now I have the faith. You're thinking more highly of yourself than you ought to think. Don't have Assess your attitude. Make sure you don't have that. This is a verse pastors really need to remember. Biola professor said, the need for bragging rights is especially strong among Christian leaders. The need for bragging rights. We pastors can be an arrogant sort, you know. Uh, don't you like it when I'm preaching at myself instead of you? <laughs> Tim, we pastors can be an arrogant sort. <laughs> We're the Lord's anointed. We have spiritual knowledge. We have superior knowledge. And if you want to hear from God, you come to us. We're very spiritual. We stand tall in the faith. Now, none of that should be taken very seriously, but a lot of us do take it seriously because we think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. But every single member of the church needs to be careful here. Well, I'm a self-sufficient Christian. I don't need the church. I have Jesus. Well, it means you have the head, but you don't have the body. person who says, I don't need the church, has decapitated the Lord. I don't need the church. I don't need the pastor's teaching. I don't need the ministry of other members. I'm a self-sufficient Christian. Now, very few would say that, although I have heard it. But some people have that attitude. You need to assess it because you are thinking more highly of yourself than what you ought to think. So instead of thinking that way, do I realize that I need others and that those other people need me? Paul says, rather think of yourselves with Sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed each one of you. You notice that he says in accordance with the faith God has distributed. Some versions translate it according to the measure of faith. Nobody has fullness of faith. We have measures of faith. I have some faith. You have some faith. You have some faith. You have some faith. None of us has a fullness of faith. But when we come together as the church, we are pulling our faith and we are so much stronger when we are together by faith than when we are trying to live independently with our own little measure of faith. The church needs to come together and share together its faith and do its ministries out of that faith. So we need to start by assessing our attitudes. Second, and I need to change your notes here because last night I changed my mind on this point. I have assessed the measure of faith God has given you. Here's what I really want to say. Number two, assess your place in the body of Christ. Assess your place in the body of Christ. Assess your place in the body of Christ. Verse four, just as each one of us has one body and many members, last time you looked in the mirror, you said, I got one body and many members, hands, feet, head, eyes, ears, so forth. And these members do not all have the same function. So in Christ, we who though many form one body and each member belongs to all the others. Paul's favorite way of thinking about the church His favorite way is to compare it to the human body. One body, many members, all the members working together for the good of one body. Now, our bodies, in order to work well, have to have many parts that work together in unity. What if every body part did the same thing? Well, you say it's impossible. 
the ear can't see, the eye can't hear. What if a particular member of the body works against the body instead of for the good of the body? I talked to somebody this past week who has an autoimmune disease. A member of his body works against his body. Some churches have autoimmune disease. We are working against one another instead of for the good of the body. So just as a human body has many members, but all must work together for the common good, so also is the church. Many members with different skills, different gifts, different perspectives, different insights, working together, pulling together for the good of the one body. Each of us is but one member of the body of Christ, and each of us has different gifts of grace, Paul says. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. And the word there for gifts is the word charismata. You ever heard the phrase, the charismatic movement? Listen, every church is a charismatic church in that every church has been gifted gifts of God to the members which are to be used for the common good of the whole body. And then Paul lists seven charismata. I'm sure Paul was not giving us a complete list here. Perhaps these were the seven gifts most prominent in the Roman church. I think that's perhaps the best answer there. How many spiritual gifts are there? I don't know. And you don't know, and the preacher on the radio didn't know either. But the people of a church need to nurture and encourage gifts that, that, are, that exist in their congregation. I'd like to tell you, any church that has the seven gifts we're going to mention in a few moments is a pretty good church. A pretty good church. Let's look at this seven charismata that God gives us here. Some proclaim God's will in a situation. Paul says, continuing in verse 6, If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith or in accordance with the analogy of faith. And I'll talk about that. Now, the gift of prophecy is very controversial today, and I don't have all the answers. uh, But not a week goes by that I don't receive several emails of prophecies from God. And you know what? I don't find any of them very overwhelming or very convincing or very edifying, frankly. Not that useful. But the bottom line is, the church needs people who can proclaim the very Word of God as it addresses a specific situation that is before them. And they're to do this according to the analogy of faith. In other words, according to what the faith teaches. Not, Not more, not less, but just what the faith, the Christian faith teaches. Churches often proclaim answers to questions I'm afraid nobody's asking. That's not being prophetical. We need to hear the word from God that fits the crisis and the needs of the moment. Today, it might be human sexuality. Tomorrow, something else. Another bad thing we're facing today is the need in our culture for people to be civil to one another. Terrible need. The church needs to proclaim that message. In our 
Fellowship of Grace Brethren Churches, what we now call the Karis Fellowship. Uh, it's my privilege to serve as chairman of the Social Concerns Committee. And every year we present resolutions to the conference, which if we're doing our job correctly, we are taking the church of God, that, excuse me, we are taking the truth of God and we are applying it to the situation of the moment that is right before us. Whether it's the sanctity of life or whether it's the need to be civil to one another or something, whether it's our understanding of what a family is or things like that. So we need people who can proclaim the will of God into a situation. Here's another spiritual gift we need. Some pitch in and serve whenever anything needs done. He says, if your gift is serving, then serve. The church wouldn't go anywhere if there weren't people here who see something that needs to be done and then they do it. This could be called the gift of volunteerism. Remember uh, Mary and Martha in the Bible? And uh, Mary's, Martha's scurrying around and Mary's sitting at the feet of Jesus. And the lesson is that we need to sit at the feet of Jesus because it's so important. And yes, it is. A lady came up to me after the sermon and said, Well, Pastor, just who's going to fix the church dinner? <laughs> we need Martha's. We need Mary's. And we need people with the gift of volunteerism. What an important gift that is. A third charisma, or charisma. Some instruct others in doctrine. Paul says, if your gift is teaching, then teach. A teaching gift. Learning the Word of God and explaining it and applying it to others. Simple as that. People who have the gift of teaching guide the church by studying the Word of God, imparting that knowledge, protecting the church from falsehood, maturing the church in the message of God, so that we are no longer carried about by every wind of doctrine, but we grow in the truth. What the Bible calls the pastor-teacher is certainly one who needs to be able to instruct others in doctrine. Very important spiritual gift. I like that gift. But we need others. Some encourage others with just the right word. Whereas the teacher focuses on the doctrine, the encourager focuses upon what that person before him needs to hear right now. Verse 8 starts out, If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. I worked under a pastor who had a great gift of encouragement. And he could come along to you in your sorrow or in your laughter, in your needs, and he could say just the right word that you need at that time to lift you up a little bit. That's the hospital visitation gift, among other things. He knew just what to say. Do you sometimes need a word of encouragement or exhortation or comfort or warning, somebody with a gift of encouragement would be good for you at a time like that. Our church has a ministry called Stephen Ministers, and that's a gift of encouragement. You get it from someone, you get encouragement from someone with this gift. In the Bible, there's a name, there's a man who had this gift. His name was Joe. Yeah, his name was Joe. But he is better known to us by the nickname of Barnabas. 
which means son of encouragement. He was the man who had could come to you and put his hand on your shoulder and say just the right words that you needed at the moment. Is there anybody in this church that has that gift? I hope so. I hope so. Pastors need people like with this gift. Be sure your new pastor receives lots of encouragement. There are some people in the church that have the gift of discouragement. If you have a gift of discouragement, that is a talent that I would urge you to wrap in a napkin and bury. The church does not need the gift of discouragement. There's enough discouraging things that come along as there is without having people that like to observe them all the time. Now, here's another charisma. The charisma of giving. Some contribute their wealth with exceptional generosity. If it is giving, then give generously. I'll talk about that word in a moment, but let's just look at the gift. This does not mean how big our gift is. Well, he gives a lot of money. He must have a gift of giving. You know, in the Bible, Jesus would use small donors, or I should say donors who give small amounts, not little teeny donors, but you know what I mean. Who have, uh, he uses those as examples. So it doesn't matter how much you give. While every one of us should be financial contributors to the ministries of this church, some believers have a special heart for giving. They're the ones who can always see somebody's financial need or are always interested in something the church is going to do. I, I can think of a brother in our church in Seal Beach who's now with the Lord, and I was amazed at how that person would plug into somebody's financial needs. That's the person who will come to the pastor and say, Pastor, you don't talk about money enough. You need to take more offerings. Pastors love people with gifts of giving. If this is your gift, then then give, uh, well, the text says in the NIV, generously. The word literally means with simplicity. With simplicity. No hypocrisy. No giving so that your gift might be seen and you might be noticed. No giving so that you might control the church with your gift. But giving out of simplicity and sincerity. Just give and get the job done, get it over with and move on. What a great gift that is. Another charisma of the seven that Paul mentions. Some lead ministries effectively. Verse 8 continues, if it is to lead, do it diligently. The church needs leaders as well as the church needs doers, as well as the church needs workers. We need people with a gift of volunteerism, and we need people with a gift of leadership who can lead the volunteers. You can, you can volunteer to serve home communions, but somebody has to be in charge of the home communion ministry. You can volunteer to serve in the praise group, but somebody has to be in charge of the praise team. You can serve in Sunday school. Somebody has to lead the Sunday school ministries. It's important that your church board have a few on it with strong leadership skills. Not everybody, because there are the gifts the board needs too, but some need to be especially good at leading. 
Now, if the, your, your gift is one of leadership, Paul says, lead diligently. Be faithful to your assignments. Do them with excellence. See them all the way through. See that they are rightly carried out to the end. Don't give up midstream and leave, leave the task undone. You know, that will really quench the spirit of a congregation when someone says, I'll do it, and then they do it, and then they leave it undone. It's discouraging to pastors, too, if uh, people don't follow through on something they promised to or something they start doing, but then leave it dangling. That is not diligence. So be sure that if you lead in a task in the church, that you lead with diligence and you see it through to the end and you make sure it's being led, being done excellently. Now, the final of the seven gifts that Paul mentions here is a gift of showing mercy. Some show compassion to those who hurt. If everybody in the church has this gift, you call it the Salvation Army. (laughs) But a church will just have some in it who have the gift of showing mercy. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. These people with the gift of showing mercy are especially sensitive to the needs and the hurts of people in the congregation. They are your caregivers. They are those with compassionate hearts and helping hands. You need it done, they'll come and help you with it. You need another act of compassion, they'll be there for you in that. They're the good Samaritans. They're the ones who care for the sick and the needy and the lonely. If this is your gift... For goodness sake, do it cheerfully. Don't let your work get you down. Don't let the person who you're ministering to think that your visit to that person only made you more discouraged. Don't visit somebody in the hospital and leave that person feeling worse than when you came. Be sure that you do the work cheerfully because the gift of showing mercy can be a draining ministry. You need to keep your own cheer up. When you do it, don't make others miserable with a gift of cheerfulness. Now, let's wrap up our thoughts now. To a degree, this is in your outline, to a degree, all of us should do each of these ministries, but we are not gifted to concentrate on all of them. Every one of us needs to be able to share truth, to show mercy, to give, to volunteer, And so forth. You may not have a gift of evangelism. You know something? It might well be that your new pastor has a gift of evangelism because I was listening. My wife and I were listening to his testimony today online. He may well have a gift of evangelism. And you may say, well, I don't have that gift. Good. I'll let him do it. (laughs) No, every one of us needs to be prepared to share our faith. First, Peter says, that we should always be ready to give a reason for the hope that is within us. But not every one of us has a gift of evangelism. That's not going to be our emphasis. We're not going to be out night after night after night on that. We might be busy leading the church or serving in some other way or studying for a lesson. But, but we need people in the church who have a gift of evangelism. But all of us should, concentrate, should be able to share our faith with others. Don't ever say, I won't do that. That's not my gift. If the need is there, 
But don't spend a lot of time doing what you can't do well because God hasn't gifted you that way and your heart isn't really in it. Find the place and the role of service that satisfies you, that fulfills you, where you can see results, where people encourage you, you're really good at that, and when your own heart is fulfilled in the doing of it. Focus on those things. Those are where your gifts are. Now, continuing the thoughts here as we wrap it up. No particular spiritual gift is a sign that you've reached a higher spirituality. And no particular spiritual gift can be practiced by all. Keep those in mind. There's a lot of misteaching today. No one has all these gifts, not even the pastor. Now, when a church searches for a pastor, they'll often put out a what they're looking for in the new pastor. We're looking for a man of God who can do this and who can do that. And you put everything in there. Nobody else wants to do. And he can be this and he can be that. And I have seen some of these lists, and what they're basically saying is the new pastor has to have all the gifts of the Spirit. He has to do everything that Romans chapter 12 uh, talks about here. He has to be a prophet. He has to serve. He has to teach. He has to encourage. He has to give. He has to lead. He has to show mercy. And you know what? That man doesn't exist. You are setting yourself up for failure if you demand multitude of gifts like that in any one pastor. And even worse, you're setting up the pastor for failure. Can't happen. It won't happen. And so we needn't be surprised when it does happen if we have that kind of wrongful expectation. Now, the bottom line for you and me from Romans chapter 12, 1 to 8 is this. What spiritual ability, what charismatic gift might be yours so you can serve Grace Brethren Church of Norwalk and do it effectively? If you want to answer that question, you need to present your body a living sacrifice. You need to let God renew your mind away from the world's thought patterns to God's thought patterns. And, need, and then you need to assess your life and your abilities that you put to God's service and see what ways God might use you most effectively because those are the ways where he has probably gifted you. I'm going to close with a prayer, and this is just part of what we're going to sing soon. Let's pray. Take our lives, Lord, and let them be consecrated, Lord, to, you, to Thee. Take our hands and let them move at the impulse of thy love. Take our voices and let us sing always only for our king. Take our silver and our gold, not a mite would we withhold. Take our wills and make them thine. They shall be no longer ours. And take our love, my God, I pour at thy feet. It's treasure sure. Lord, I pray that we will all be those who have obeyed the scripture to present our bodies and our minds and to assess our attitudes and our service so that we might do the work you've called this church to do. In Jesus' name, amen.
Thanks uh, again for your graciousness to us. Uh, God, I pray that as we leave this place, that you would help us to be that living sacrifice that you call us to be. God, not a death sacrifice, but a living sacrifice, one that's filled with compassion, one that's filled with cheerfulness, one that's filled with uh, the desire and the heart to uh, be Christ to those around us. So, God, would you take our voice? God, would you take our love? Would you take our minds? Would you take our hands and our feet? God, maybe to places that we've never been before. God, maybe to places that are a little scary. But God, would you use us? God, would you allow the gifts that you have given us uh, to be used for your glory, to make an impact in this world, to make a difference for Christ? So God, thanks for the charge this morning. Thanks for the reminder what it means to work together as one body, though we are different members with different gifts. Uh, God, but we are to work as one. And God, as our new pastor uh, gets set to come this way, God, uh, pray that we would work with him, that we would encourage him, that we would come alongside of him, God, that we would be praying for him even now, God, as he prepares to come. God, would you prepare him for the task that you have for him here? But God, also, would you prepare our hearts for what you have prepared for us? For Lord, as we enter into this new season, as we uh, enter into a new year and a new time of ministry here in Norwalk. God, I pray that you would prepare each of us uh, to be active servants for you. God, we love you. We're so grateful for men that you bring to this pulpit to encourage us, to challenge us, uh, to send us out. So, God, we love you. We pray all of these things in the precious, precious name of Jesus. Amen. Amen, church. Have a great week. Ponder on these thoughts this week. How can you be a living sacrifice for the Lord?